It's good to be with you, church family. It's a little loud, yeah. On this uh, super, super hot Arkansas summer evening. So hot. Anyways, turn your Bible to Psalm 51. Psalm 51, and we're going to be camping out together in verse 17. That's Psalm 51, verse 17. And as you turn your Bibles there, I want to say thank you all uh, as a church family for doing a spiritual good in our lives and for allowing me to serve parents and students in our youth ministry here. They are the most amazing students on the planet. You as a congregation have been so sweet to me and Jessica since becoming members uh, since October of 2018, so I really do consider it a pure joy uh, to bring you the word this evening. So let's look at verse 17, Psalm 51, verse 17, which is also in your handout. The writer of Psalm 51, verse 17 states, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. We'll do that again. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Now, the context of Psalm 51 is 2 Samuel chapters 11 through 12, as the superscript indicates at the beginning of Psalm 51 that says this, To the choir master, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. In 2 Samuel chapter 11, David lusted after a woman who was not his wife, stole her, used her for sex, murdered her husband Uriah, and tried to cover up the whole thing like it was a tabloid mess. And the chapter ends with the reader seeing this whole range, uh, this whole train wreck of events take place, so much so that at the end of the chapter, it simply says that this thing displeased the Lord. And so we're left wondering, will David then be displeased with his sin? Will he be grieved before God? In 2 Samuel 12, God sends Nathan the prophet to confront David in his sin. And as the chapter unfolds, David, unlike King Saul, is gripped tightly by the weight of his sin and becomes utterly broken before God. David sees that his sin ultimately does not satisfy. And so he says in 2 Samuel 2 verse 13, I have sinned against the Lord. In her book, Teach Me to Feel, Worshiping Through the Psalms in Every Season of Light, Life, Courtney Reisig notes this, sin with all of its promises of fulfillment in the beginning crushes you in its aftermath. You are ashamed. This is how David felt when he penned Psalm 51. As we reflect on Psalm 51 verse 17, I want you to see this main idea this evening. God will not reject the repentant. God will not reject the repentant. And from that main idea, I want us to spend the remainder of our time unpacking two questions, just two. Who do the repentant turn to? Who do the repentant turn to? And what are the repentant marked by? What are the repentant marked by? So number one, who do the repentant turn to? It's apparent throughout the psalm that David is truly convicted over his sin. David didn't view his sin as trivial something to be kind of swept under a rug with a simple shrug as if it was no big deal. No, David refers to his sinful actions twice in Psalm 51, my transgressions. That he was brought forth into his uh, mother's womb 
uh, excuse me, brought forth in iniquity in his mother's uh, womb, that his sin was actually evil in the sight of a holy God, and that he was guilty of bloodshed, which echoes back to the murder of Uriah. You see, David saw his sin for what it was. It was actually a personal affront to God and cosmic treason towards the creator of the heavens and the earth, towards the one who made him king and established his steps to begin with. And so who does David turn to? David, as the repentant, turns to God. And right out of the gate in verse 1 of, our, of this particular psalm, David pleads, very first verse, David pleads for mercy from God. David doesn't come to God with a self-righteous attitude, moral performance, and isn't simply concerned with his sin's consequences, though there certainly were consequences. David actually just looks to the covenant-keeping God alone for forgiveness and restoration. It's even evident based on the verbs of the whole psalm that David looked to God and did not look to himself. God have mercy. God blot out. God wash, God cleanse, God purge, God hide your face. Notice that in our verse, God is mentioned twice. He's the main subject matter of this verse in the psalm because he alone can provide what David and repentant sinners need and can provide what you need if you're a repentant sinner tonight. My Christian friend, who do you turn to when you're confronted in your sins? Do you turn to the Lord, a God who is merciful and gracious and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness? Is that who you turn to? David doesn't appeal to his crown. He appeals to the God who gave him his crown and established his throne by sovereign grace. Who do you turn to? Maybe you turn to yourself while in your sins. You don't turn to anyone because you don't find yourself finally accountable to anyone. In your sin, you find yourself more and more becoming like Eeyore off Winnie the Pooh, sitting in a pool of self-pity, boo-hoo. And so you convince yourself to just simply stay in that pool. Does anyone, do we still watch Winnie the Pooh? Is that still a thing? Okay, cool. Maybe you turn to your friends who feed into your sin because with them, you know that you will never have to give an account. You will never have to own your sin and take responsibility so you keep those friends close and church members at a distance. Those who you have covenanted with that will speak hard words in your life so that in, in humility, as Brad was talking about, you would hear and heed them for your good. So church family, who do you turn to? David got off the sidelines and he acted. Israel's king recognized his sin, and he turned to God. Psalm 51, verse 4, against you have I sinned. Consider how the NIV renders our verse. I like it a little bit better. The NIV renders our verse tonight saying this, My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart you, God, will not despise. David takes full responsibility of his sin by saying, My sacrifice Oh God. Likewise, church family, we must recognize that our sin is our own. And it's something meant to be taken to the Lord who does not turn away, but rather comforts the downcast. Vertically, what that means is that the repentant turn away from their sins and they turn alone to God. 
But horizontally, the repentant turn to a watching world and proclaims to them the goodness of this God who forgives sins and returns a people to himself. After turning to the Lord for a new clean heart, in the psalm, David says the following in verse 13, Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. David will not withhold the good news of who God is from fellow image bearers who have likewise sinned against a holy God. He's not withholding it. And this actually requires then for you and I to use words in our evangelism to others. Do you leverage then your time to bring that news to your lost friends, your lost family members, lost coworkers, and others that come to the forefront of your mind? Do you teach transgressors of God's character, his ways so that he might bring some to himself through sharing the gospel with other people? Or may it be that you've simply forgotten the last time that you've repented of your sins. If repentance is tied closely with evangelism, both as a response to the gospel and a life evidenced of receiving that gospel, what does that say about how you view your sin potentially in light of who God is? So who do we turn to? We turn to God. And then as a response, we turn to the watching world and we tell them of who God is and his mighty saving acts and returning of people to himself. But secondly, what are the repentant marked by? What are the repentant marked by? I think based on our verse tonight, a brokenness and godly grief over sin. A brokenness and godly grief over sin. Look again at verse 17. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. David viewed, based on this verse, his sin is a stench before God. One of the nights at VBS, I was helping... What was your name again? Professor Spark. Professor Spark. I was helping Professor Spark Cole Pinnock with skits. And on the last night, we got pied with a ton of whipped cream, which was a first for me, believe it or not. I tried my best to get it out of my John Stamos-like hair. And the whipped cream settled in my hair. And on the way home, a stench began to spread in my Mazda where I thought, I can't really smell this any longer. I started to get really sick at my stomach, and I thought, if I hit a pothole, I'm going to puke all over this dashboard. It's going to be a bad, bad deal. Guys, when's the last time you viewed your sin as a stench before God? Something that just smelled awful. As Andrew Nunn prayed in the prayer of lament this morning, do you grieve the wickedness still in your hearts before God? In his book, The Doctrine of Repentance, Puritan Thomas Watson gives us, a, gives us a helpful definition of repentance that is all over our verse tonight. He said this, Repentance is a grace of God, a, a grace of God's spirit, whereby a sinner is inwardly humbled and visibly reformed. I'm going to say that again. Repentance is a grace of God's spirit, whereby a sinner is inwardly humbled and visibly reformed. The weight of David's sins come crashing down in 2 Samuel 11, and God's confrontation through the prophet Nathan in 2 Samuel 12 came crashing down full throttle on David. And instead of submitting to pride, which is what his flesh wanted and what your flesh wants, God's spirit inwardly humbled David and visibly reformed him in this psalm. 
And so Brad reminded us in 2 Corinthians 7, 8 through 16 this morning, the sermon passage, that the Apostle Paul rejoiced over the Corinthian church grieving over their sin, which led to their repentance, repentance that led to a salvation without regret. And so the very things that marked the repentant David in our verse tonight marked the repentant Corinthian church, lest we forget Paul's words to them in that letter, and such were some of you. Because of God's grace made manifest in the person and work of Jesus, the Corinthians were inwardly humbled and visibly reformed, as Thomas Watson is referring to. They were marked by true repentance, a repentance that is God-willed and God-intended for their good in Christ. What we have tonight in our verse in Psalm 51 is a true posture and picture of true repentance. True repentance is being utterly broken over your sin before God. It's having a heart marked by a recognition that God would be perfectly just to condemn us all. True repentance does not shift the blame to someone else, but as Pastor Brad said this morning, it involves remorse over one's sin, resolve to turn from that sin, and a complete 180 reversal headed towards the Lord alone. That's what we see in this verse. False repentance, however, is the opposite of the repentant David and the repentant Corinthian church. It's personal sorrow over the consequences of our sin without any shame of violating God's holy law and standards. It's the type of repentance that is only sorry for being punished, but no care for offending the God of this universe. False repentance is concerned with consequences instead of the cross. It's an unapology, as Brad is talking about. It's a sorry, not sorry. What would you say truly fundamentally marks your life? What would others in this church say fundamentally marks your life when confronted in your sins? I'm thankful for brothers like Ryan Berry, a sister who happens to be the most amazing wife on the planet. Jessica, or Scott Belinsky and Jeremy, I mean, a handful of people. Man, I'm thankful for brothers and sisters in the life of this church who confront me in my sin. Who are those people? Who comes to mind? Is there anyone speaking into your life? And what marks your life? Is it true or is it false repentance? Perhaps you're here tonight and you're not following Jesus. You have no problem admitting it. The tragic reality is that you too are like David and the Corinthians before they turn to the Lord with a repentant heart and faith. Namely, you're not marked by true repentance, but false repentance. Do you believe David is true when he says in Psalm 51, 5, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me, because the Apostle Paul in Romans 5 tends to think so, because we're all guilty in Adam. Maybe you find yourself too dirty to come to God, Right? So you come to him with your little sacrifices in your hands. You see verse 17 and you think, okay, the sacrifices of God. And you stop there. You ignore what the rest of the verse says. So you bring the God of this universe who needs nothing. Perfect church attendance. Giving more money, more human effort, cleaning up your image, keeping a list of rights and wrongs. And so you struggle, will God accept what I can give to him? The truth is, 
The Lord isn't finally after what you can give him as if you could give the self-existent, self-sufficient God who made you in his own image anything to earn his favor. The verse above our verse tonight, verse 16 says this, For you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. Friends, the Old Testament sacrificial system alone did not bring about full and final forgiveness that you need. Hebrews 10, 3 through 4, But in these sacrifices there is a reminder of sins every year, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. In our verse tonight, David is picturing for us what the Lord ultimately desires, repentant hearts soaked in faith before him. You see, the repentant turn to God. They tell the watching world of his forgiveness and his restoration. And to be repentant is to be broken and grieved over one's sins before a holy God. And but, but, it still leaves a question and it goes back to our main point. God will not despise or reject the repentant. How is that? What makes this God not reject those who repent of their sins? It's because the repentant are covered by the righteousness of one who was the ultimate sacrifice that pleased the Father, who was utterly broken by way of suffering and dying on behalf of sinners. He who knew no sin became sin in the place of sinners. This one is Jesus, and he rose bodily on the third day, thereby ensuring that anyone who would come to the Father with a repentant heart will not be despised, will not be turned away, will not be rejected. No matter where you are, where you've been, and what mess you're in, know that God doesn't ask yourself to, to ask you to clean yourself up, then apply 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. He didn't say, clean yourself up, then you can come to me. 1 John 1, 9, right where you are, sin and all, John reminds us if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. My non-Christian friend, this can be true of you this evening. And my fellow UBC member who is growing in Christ or simply struggling with assurance, this is true of you in the present and it can be true of you going into eternity. It's not because of what our hands have done but because of the atoning blood of the Lamb of God, because no other blood will do. And because of that blood, God will not despise you because his son, like a suffering servant, was despised on your behalf. God will not reject the repentant because the repentant are covered by the righteousness of the one who would come from David's line, Jesus. And so look at this verse and leave Petty sacrifices of legalism and human effort and false repentance out the door. God is not after those things. They don't satisfy him. He's after your heart tonight. A heart that grieves sin, that looks to him and that says, Jesus, your son God, offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, my sins, your sins, our sins. And he sits down at the right hand of God and he's coming back for me as a part of the repentant people of God. He will never turn me away. He will never turn you away. UBC, he will never reject you. So grieve your sin and look to the God that David looks to in this verse tonight. Let's pray.
O gracious God, blot out our transgressions, washes from our washes from our iniquities, cleanses from our sins, help us see that our sin it's not just it's not no big deal. This is evil in your sight. And that like David, we too are guilty of spiritual bloodshed. Because of our sin, our sin it cost Jesus his life, and he was brutally murdered on a bloody cross for us. Oh God, we soberly and joyfully look to you because of his great sacrifice and his great resurrection. And Lord, tonight we ask that you open our lips and mouths to declare your praise and that you will delight in our repentance this evening. In Jesus' name, amen.